Hey, I'm Kat, mom of three and founder of Ritual, the company setting a new standard in the supplement industry. When I was pregnant with my first daughter, I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and thinking, what's in this stuff? All I found were vitamins high in heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and lacking in the very essential nutrients we need. I believe women deserve to know what they are putting in their bodies and why. So at four months pregnant, I quit my job to reinvent the prenatal vitamin. We scoured the world for the best quality ingredients, backed by clinical studies and third-party tested for heavy metals and microbes. And this year, we were awarded the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project, the supplement safety certification that tests for 200 harmful chemicals and toxins. With Ritual, you'll know where your ingredients come from and why we use them. Join our family of skeptics with 40% off your first month when you visit ritual.com slash podcast. tonight. My name, of course, is Sandman, and I'll be your guide through this strange realm of ghosts, cryptids, UFOs, aliens, conspiracy theories, and other unsolved mysteries that I like to call para-reality. Well, the emergence of COVID-19 and the ensuing pandemic's just about Man, it's just about got all of us scared out of our freaking minds, right? After all, this is a new virus, something that we've never seen before, and we have no immunity against it, no vaccine for it, and seemingly no way to effectively fight it except for to lock ourselves indoors and avoid all contact with others. Yeah, this is a new and It's a deadly virus, but what about old viruses? And no, I'm not just talking about the flu and chicken pox. I'm talking about something much, much older, ancient in fact. There are viruses that are so old, we don't even know what they are or what they'll do. Lying in the permafrost beneath Antarctica, are viruses that haven't seen the light of day in millennia. We don't really know what they are exactly or what they'll do to us, but it's a safe bet that whatever it is, it isn't good. 
on tonight's journey into the realm of parareality. I'm going to continue the deadly virus theme, except this time I'm not going to be talking about COVID-19. No, loyal listeners, instead I'm going to be talking about something more ancient, something that the human race hasn't been exposed to in thousands, possibly millions of years. Tonight, loyal listeners, I'm going to be talking about ancient viruses that are lying just beneath the frozen surface of the ground in places like Antarctica. But to learn more, you'll need to turn on, tune in, and find out. However, before we begin tonight's journey, let me tell you how you can contact me here at the podcast, because you know there are several different ways that you can do that, and here they are. First of all, you can email the show. Email address is sandman at parareality.com. That's sandman at parareality.com. Second, you can find me on Facebook by going to my Parareality page there on Facebook. And third, you can follow me on Twitter. My username is at Radio. That's at Radio. And lastly, you can always call the show at 615-692-1170 and leave a message on the studio line. I'm in the studio a lot these days working on the podcast, so you never know. just might answer the phone, get a chance to talk to me. Like I said, you never know. But if I'm not there and you do decide to leave me a message, just be aware that if you do, you're giving me permission to play your comment back on the show. So if you don't want that to happen, you'll need to let me know somewhere in the message. Just let me know, hey, I don't want this played back. Otherwise, there's a really good chance that you'll get your show played back or your message played back on the show. And I'm always looking for interesting stories for the podcast. So if you've got a story that you'd like to get on the show and uh, you want it out there, tell it to me over the voicemail if you want to. If uh you don't want to, I don't know, maybe you don't want to be on the show, but maybe you just want to get a get your story in. You want to remain anonymous, that's fine. You can totally do that. Just leave me a message on the voicemail. If you run out of time, just call back and pick up where you left off. And that number to call, once again, is 615-692-1170, 615-692-1170. That is the Parareality Studio line. You can also email the show, sandman at parareality.com. Follow me on Facebook, on the Parareality page there on Facebook. And follow me on Twitter. My handle on Twitter is at Radio. That's at Radio. Or you can just uh, check the show out on the web if you just want to check it out and see what it's all about. www.parareality.com So those are all the ways that you can... uh, Contact me, get in touch with me here on the show. And as always, it is time for the fan mail of the week. And uh, this one is, speaking of the studio line, this one comes from the studio line, right fresh off the studio line. Now, um, there is it it may sound a little weird, a little choppy, because I I did some editing. I cut out some uh, use of last names and... And uh, 
email addresses and telephone numbers that were handed out on the um, on the studio line. Uh, it, just be advised you, if you if you want to leave me ways to get in t- contact with you, if you call the studio line. I will not play those back on the air. I am not that much of a jerk where I'm going to give out your personal contact information to the whole world. I, I know better than to do that. That's 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 not cool. So I will edit those out as can be heard in this uh, message from listener of the show, Trey. And uh, this is Trey's message that he left to me here on the studio line. Yeah, Sam, man, this, my name is Trey. Uh, you responded to an email of mine, um, and I never did. I tried to – I sent you a message back that you said you used part of my stuff about um, – anyway, it was it was a, an outline of, of stuff I had. But uh, but anyway, my email is uh, – I was just checking back with you because I was interested in what part of the stuff I sent you you might – and you told me a date when it would air, the podcast would air, and I'm going to try uh, to catch that. But uh, – I was just wondering what part of it you used, and uh, just let you know that I do background music. That's totally uh, not got any copyright problems with it. It's instrumental, uh, and I also have whole lots of ideas uh, uh, about conspiracies and stuff like that. Uh, I'm not real sure if it's paranormal, uh, but some stuff about uh, you know how religion is. Uh, uh, warped and our true history of, uh, say, Northern European people uh, has been, you know, hidden from us and and so forth. And, uh, you know, plans for the overpopulation of the earth and what that has to do with religion and all that kind of stuff. So I have a lot of material. Uh, I, I just, I don't, I haven't done a podcast of my own. I, I really need to do that. Just kind of interested in what part you did in case I don't have a chance to I guess I can hear that podcast anytime after it airs. So thank you. I appreciate it. All right. That was listener of the show, Trey, leaving me a voicemail. Now, um, Trey, I have, I have since, uh, since he left this voicemail, I have been in contact with him over, uh, through the email. So some of this Trey already knows, but, uh, Trey, just in case you need refreshing, the, uh, episode that you were talking about where I read part of your, uh, uh, manifesto uh, was on the February 21st, 2020 episode uh, where part-time co-host Eric and I were talking about the uh, Epstein conspiracy theories. Uh, I guess you could say it was part two of our Epstein conspiracy theories, and that was uh, on uh, February 21st, 2020, where I uh, read part of your manifesto. And, uh, well, buddy, you got you're like me. You got a lot of interests, and uh, I appreciate you um, calling and and um, leaving me the message. And I appreciate the all the emails that that you have sent me. I'm definitely looking over your stuff, and it's it's something very interesting. Um, I don't know um, that uh, I would uh, necessarily. Um, need to use any of the music that you uh, that you, that you say you do but I, I I haven't heard it either and I, I appreciate you offering to let me use some of your music I would like to hear it if you can uh, I don't know email me some samples or something like that sandman at parareality.com that'd be cool if you could do that but uh, yeah man um, we've uh, exchanged a few emails Trey and uh, 
definitely have have read over your stuff and and uh it's um it's 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 kind of out there but uh uh yeah i i kind of understand what you're saying about um you you thinking about some you know some things have been kept from us historically i totally agree with you on that um i think um my friend Scott, I say my friend Scott Walter, like he and I are buds. I've interviewed Scott Walter from uh, America Unearthed, and uh, I think he would totally agree with you on that. So, yeah, Trey, thanks for uh, thanks for calling in and, and leaving the message. And, um, yeah, I'll definitely be getting back with you. And once again, that, that uh, episode that you're looking for was the uh, Epstein Conspiracy Theories Part 2 that aired on February 20th of 2020 with uh, part-time co-host Eric. So... Thanks again, Trey, for calling. All right, that does it with the fan mail section. And now it's time to get into the the heart of the show and kind of keeping with the theme that I've done over the last couple of episodes with uh, um, viruses. The the last two, if you've listened to this to the last couple of episodes, you know they've been pretty much uh, devoted exclusively to the COVID-19, which at, at first was called, uh, it was a novel coronavirus, uh, 2019 NCOV, uh, and uh, then later on developed into what we're now calling COVID-19. And uh, I thought I would just kind of keep with the with the theme of the viruses and talk a little bit about what would happen if we were to unleash some, I guess, old viruses would be a good term to use. We we all know that the earth is warming up. And it doesn't matter if you don't believe in global warming or not. The facts are the facts. Setting my own personal beliefs aside, I cannot ignore that the climate is changing and not necessarily in a good way. The warming of the planet is causing more than just temperature change. The ice is also thawing, and scientists are sounding the alarm that we could see the reemergence of ancient pathogens that haven't been active for quite literally thousands or if not millions of years. These viruses have been locked away in glaciers, and permafrost could suddenly wake up if they thaw. Considering our current pandemic, this is a scary thought and one that could be actually on the verge of taking place sooner rather than later, especially given the rate that our planet is warming up. Frozen permafrost soil is the perfect place for bacteria to remain alive for very long periods of time, perhaps as long as as millions of years. That means that melting ice could potentially open a Pandora's box of diseases. The temperature in the Arctic Circle is, is rising quickly, about three times faster than the rest of the world, as a matter of fact. And as the ice and the permafrost melt, dangerous pathogens could be released. Earlier this year, scientists analyzed two ice core samples from the Galea ice cap, which is in Tibet, 
and they identified several viruses that have Shopify helped businesses break sales records over the holidays with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Been frozen, for lack of a better word. Um, one of them dated back t- uh, 520 years. And another dated back 15,000 years. Of all the viruses that were found, four of them are already known, but 28 have never been seen by modern man, at least before. Well, like I said, at least not for several hundred years anyway, right? And so that means that these pathogens are now exposed to the modern era and that theoretically they can reemerge as viable viruses, exposing the planet to pathogens that we don't have the immune system for. Doesn't that sound a little familiar? Like COVID-19, like what's going on right that, like, like right now? I mean, if, if it doesn't sound familiar, it should because that's kind of exactly what's happening to the planet right now. We're right in the middle of a viral pandemic of a pathogen that we have never seen before and don't have the antibodies against it. The worst case scenario is that as the glaciers and the permafrost melt, it could cause the release of pathogens that have been frozen and preserved for tens of thousands or to tens to hundreds or tens to thousands or hundred thousands of years. That can cause another pandemic, one far worse than what we're going through right now, as a matter of fact. While we don't know if this will happen, scientists have previously revived viruses that have been dormant for thousands of years, suggesting to me that it's at least a possibility. Throughout history, humans have existed side by side with bacteria and viruses. We've evolved to resist them, and in response, they have developed new ways of infecting us. Ever since Alexander Fleming discovered penicillin, we have had antibiotics, and we've used these antibiotics successfully, sometimes maybe a little too successfully. Thanks in part to overprescription of antibiotics, bacteria have been uh, have responded by evolving to resist these things. And we keep coming up with new antibiotics. Patients keep on demanding them. Doctors overprescribe them and prescribe them when they shouldn't. And the bacteria evolve to become resistant to them. It's like a never-ending cycle. But what would happen if the human race were suddenly exposed to deadly bacteria and viruses that have been absent for thousands of years, stuff we haven't been exposed to for thousands of years. For example, let's take a look at uh, what happened in Siberia back in August of 2016. In the Yamal Peninsula, which is uh, located in a remote corner of Siberia, 
a 12-year-old boy died and at least 20 other people were hospitalized after being infected by anthrax. Now, you might be saying to yourself, that's terrible, but hasn't anthrax been around for a long time? Well, yeah, it has, but listen to this. The theory here is that over 75 years ago, a reindeer infected with anthrax died and its frozen carcass became trapped under a layer of the permafrost. And it stayed there until a heat wave in the summer of 2016 when the permafrost thawed. The reindeer's corpse was now exposed and the anthrax was released into the water table and the soil and somehow made its way into the food supply. And then more than 2,000 reindeer who were grazing nearby became infected, which then led to the small number of human cases. While it's true that anthrax has been around for a long time, it's also true that it become dormant if it's frozen. And once it's thawed, it can be just as deadly as it was before it became frozen. Therefore, if anthrax can be frozen and then thawed and still be just as deadly as it once was, couldn't the same thing be true of pathogens that we don't know anything about because they've been frozen for so long? Well, yes, it is a very distinct possibility. For centuries, people and animals have been buried in the permafrost, so it's not too far-fetched to think that dangerous pathogens could be unleashed once they're thawed. For example, in Alaska, scientists discovered fragments of RNA from the 1918 Spanish flu virus in corpses that were buried in mass graves. Corpses infected with smallpox and the bubonic plague are also probably buried in the aforementioned Siberia. So in the 1890s, there was a major epidemic of smallpox in Siberia. One town that uh, it had approximately 40% of its population die from this disease. Their bodies were taken to the Kolyma River and buried there on its banks under the upper layer of the permafrost. Now you fast forward to today, and the Kolyma's flood floodwaters have started eroding the banks and the melting of the permafrost has speeded up this erosion process. All of those smallpox-ridden bodies are just waiting to be uncovered. And what happens when they are? Well, my bet is that we'll see an outbreak of smallpox in Siberia. We thought that we had, quote-unquote, defeated smallpox decades ago, and we don't even vaccinate people against it anymore. So what happens when it reemerges? Now, I know that there's smallpox vaccine on hand, but we don't have a lot of it on hand. We keep a small sample of it, you know, around just in case it decides to come back. But people think that smallpox has been eradicated. What if really it hasn't, though? And sometime in the 1990s, scientists from the State Research Center of Virology and Bacteriology in uh, Novobursk 
tested the remains of Stone Age people who had been found in southern Siberia. You notice how Siberia keeps popping up. Uh, they found these corpses in southern Siberia in the region of uh, Gormiatali. And they've also tested samples from the corpses of men who had died during viral pandemics in the 19th century and were buried in the Russian permafrost. And what they found were bodies with sores that were characteristic to the marks left by smallpox. However, they didn't find the smallpox virus itself, but they did detect fragments of its DNA. So, could ancient viruses pose a public health risk? Well, the answer is maybe. The truth is that we just don't really know. If some of these ancient viruses are released back into the world, they could be ones that we already know, like the aforementioned smallpox there. And as I already said, we think that we've eradicated that disease, but there's always a possibility that it could make a comeback. There could also be viruses that modern medicine isn't aware of. Awful viruses that caused animal or human eradications in the past. The same's true of pathogenic bacteria like those that cause anthrax. Research, excuse me, research has shown that providing the conditions are right, viruses can survive unperturbed for tens of thousands of years, possibly going back as far as the Neanderthal area, era. In uh, a 2014 paper, uh, a professor of genomics and bioinformatics at <clears throat> Aix-Marseille University in France, his name is Jean-Michael Claveret, Dr. Jean-Michael Claveret discovered, uh, he described a 30,000-year-old giant virus that had been eradicated from the Siberian permafrost. He took it up to his lab and he revived it where it became infectious again after being dormant for a millennia. Now, giant viruses like these get their names because they're so large, they can be easily viewed under a light microscope. While an average virus can be as small as like uh, 20 nanometers, a giant virus can't fit through a hole that's 200 nanometers or smaller. The one discovered in 2014, and I'm gonna I'm gonna try to pronounce this without screwing it up so bad. The one discovered in 2014 has been named Pithovirus sibiricum. Pithos is the name of a large storage container used by the ancient Greeks. Pithovirus sibiricum. And since then, Dr. Clavier's team has discovered at least one other giant virus, Malavirus sibiricum, and it was found in the same 30,000-year-old ice sample. Fortunately, though, for us, both viruses only attacked amoebas. And you know what an amoeba is. It's a single-celled organism with the ability to shapeshift for just the KISS method, right? And so those viruses, both of those, they only attack amoebas and not animals or humans. This means that its resurrection of sorts didn't pose 
of public health risk. However, researchers say their existence raises the question of whether more deadly pathogens may be waiting in the permafrost ready to reactivate. Bacteria can also survive after being frozen. In 2005, NASA scientists successfully revived bacteria that had been encased in a frozen pond in Alaska for 32,000 years. The microbes called, I'm going to try not to screw this up, Carnobacterium Pelestiacernium have been frozen since the Pelestiacene era. When woolly mammoths were roaming around, that's how long it's been. And once the ice melted, the bacteria began swimming around like they were, you know, not effective. Like, hey, what's up? We've been sleeping for a few millennia, and now we're awake. Let's get to work. And then in 2007, scientists managed to revive an 8 million old bacterium that had been lying dormant in ice beneath the surface of a glacier in the Beacon and Mullins Valleys of Antarctica. In the same study, bacteria were also revived from the ice that were over 100,000 years old. But not all bacteria can come back to life after being frozen in the permafrost, though. Anthrax bacteria can do this because they form spores, which are extremely like tough. They're hardy, and they can survive frozen for uh, longer than a century. Other bacteria that can form spores and can survive in the permafrost include tetanus and Colistridium botulinum, that's the pathogen that's responsible for botulism. That's a rare illness that can cause paralysis and is sometimes, a lot of times, oftentimes fatal. Some fungi can also survive in permafrost for a very long period of time. So permafrost covers about 24% of the northern hemisphere. That's about 9 million square miles. That's a lot of land. That's a lot of permafrost. And scientists are predicting that even if we were to limit warming to the 2 degrees Celsius above the pre-industrial levels, that we would eventually lose 40% of that 9 million square miles. And the, <clears throat> the 2 degrees Celsius is, uh, that's a key to global warming, if we can keep our our uh, the 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 warming, if we can limit it to less than two degrees or no more than two degrees, we may be able to uh, we will be able to lessen the damage that's done to our planet. If it goes above that, it's pretty much like uh, Katie barred the doors. They say we we don't we don't really know exactly what's going to happen. But whatever it is, it's going to be bad. They they can they have these all these prediction models of how you know all the glaciers and will melt and the ocean waters will rise and all these oceanfront cities and towns and everything will will be flooded and there'll be more water, less land, 
and more people with less resources, which is which is a bad thing. But anyway, I, I digress on that. Sorry about that. So as the permafrost thaws, these now covered landscapes are turning from carbon sinks into carbon emitters with the potential to release vast amounts of greenhouse gases and cause the infrastructure it supports to crumble. Getting back to what I was just saying just a minute ago. And this warming could also unlock viruses currently hidden in the ice and in the permafrost. Now, though the likelihood of these ancient or historic viruses reactivating remains relatively unknown, we still have to look at this possibility that this could happen. And one of the key things to consider when investigating these ancient viruses, like those found in the Tibetan glacier, is the state of the virus itself. Is it is it whole? Is it is it intact or is it fragmented? Because this will affect its ability to infect people and animals and Therefore, the threat it poses to human health is it, going to, you know, it's going to impact it. And viruses detected only pose a risk if they're completely whole or can re, regrow. And another thing to consider is that global warming well, it doesn't have to directly melt the permafrost to pose a threat. Because the Arctic sea ice is melting, the north shore of Siberia is becoming more easily accessible by the sea. And because of this, things like uh, mining for gold and minerals and, and drilling for oil and natural gas and stuff like that, stuff we couldn't do before, we can now do. And it's becoming more profitable, right? Because it's all about the profit, isn't it? You know, the earth be down, we got to make our money. And and for the moment, these regions are deserted and the deep permafrost layers have been left alone. But however, these permafrost layers could be exposed by the digging involved in mining and drilling operations. And if viable viruses or bacteria are still there, this could spell disaster. And viruses from the very first humans to populate the Arctic could emerge, and we could even see viruses from long-extinct species like Neanderthals who settled in Siberia and were riddled with various viral diseases. And remains of Neanderthals from thirty to 40,000 years ago have been found in Russia. I mean, let's face it, human populations have lived there, they've become sick there, and they've died there for thousands of years. And there's a distinct possibility that we could catch some kind of ancient virus from a Neanderthal who's been dead for thousands of years. And this should tell us that we can't ever be 100% sure that we've eradicated a virus from the face of the planet. This kind of thinking leads us to a false sense of security. It's for this reason alone that we should keep stocks a vaccine somewhere and a perfect place to keep them would be in the uh, national strategic stockpile 
And I'm not going to get into what the National Strategic Stockpile is. If you don't know, look it up, read it, learn it. Since 2014, I was talking about Dr. Clavier earlier. Since 2014, Dr. Clavier and his team have been working to analyze the DNA content of permafrost layers by searching for the genetic signature of viruses and bacteria that can infect us humans. During this time, they found evidence of many kinds of bacteria that could be dangerous. The DNA of the bacteria can encode virulence factors, and virulence factors refer to molecules that pathogenic bacteria and viruses produce. This increases their ability to infect a host. I don't know if you can hear my creepy clock in the background, but there it is. It's always a creepy clock time here in the the perireality bunker. Now, uh, let's see. Dr. Clavier and his team has also found a few DNA sequences that seem to come from viruses, including herpes. Fortunately, I guess uh, they haven't found any trace of smallpox, at least not yet. However, for obvious reasons, they haven't attempted to revive any of these pathogens because, like I said, it could be really deadly. And as if things aren't sounding bad enough, it's also looking like pathogens that have never even had human contact can emerge from other places, not just the ice or the permafrost. Just a couple of years ago, in February 2017, NASA scientists announced that they had found 10 to 50,000-year-old bacteria inside crystals in a Mexican mine. They found them in the Cave of the Crystals, part of a mine in northern Mexico. Now, the cave is home to hundreds of milky white crystals that contain selenite. And selenite's a mineral that's formed over hundreds of thousands of years. They discovered that the bacteria were trapped inside the crystals in um, small fluid-filled pockets. And the scientists decided to remove the bacteria. And whenever they did that, the bacteria miraculously revived and began to multiply. These bacteria may well be a new species because they are genetically unique. However, the research hasn't been published yet, so we don't really know anything more about it than what I just said. And bacteria that haven't seen the light of day for over 4 million years have been discovered in uh, Lechaguila Cave in New Mexico. These bacteria have been for years a 1,000 feet or more underground, buried underground. This cave in New Mexico it, it's, it doesn't even see sunlight. It never sees sunlight. And it's so isolated that it takes about 10,000 years for water from the surface to get down into the cave. That's how deep and isolated this thing is. So in case you're not scared enough, listen to this. Somehow, this 4 million year old bacteria, they're resistant to 8 
15 types of antibiotics, including drugs considered to be a last resort for fighting infections. The bacteria is called a Pyenobacillus SPLC231, and it's resistant to 70% of antibiotics. 70%. In fact, the bacteria is able to render a lot of the antibiotics completely inactive. These bacteria, they've been totally isolated in that cave for four million years, not coming into contact with either humans or antibiotic drugs. Four million years. Now that means its antibiotic resistance must have come about in some other way. So how is something like that possible? Well, the scientists involved believe that the bacteria, which thankfully does not harm us humans, the scientists think that this bacteria is one of many that have naturally evolved resistance to antibiotics. Now, this suggests that the antibiotic resistance has been around for millions or even billions of years. That means that this is some sort of natural antibiotic resistance and did not evolve as the result of overuse or overprescribing of antibiotics. So, How does natural antibiotic resistance occur? Well, the explanation goes like this. There are many types of bacteria and fungi that naturally produce antibiotics so they may gain a competitive advantage over other microbes. This is supposedly how Fleming first discovered penicillin. Bacteria in a Petri dish died after one became contaminated with an antibiotic excreting mold. Now, let's head back into the caves. In this environment, there's little to no food. So, whatever's in there, specifically we're talking about the bacteria, um, it, it, whatever's in there, this bacteria... It's got to be tough. It's got to be ruthless if it wants to survive. So bacteria like the Pyenobacillus may have had to evolve antibiotic resistance in order to avoid being killed by rival organisms. It's a distinct possibility. Antibiotics come from bacteria, and they come from fungi, and this explains why the bacteria are only resistant to natural antibiotics. So these 4 million year old bacteria have never been exposed to man-made biotics and therefore they don't have a resistance to those things, to the man-made ones. So how much really should we be concerned about all of this? Well, one argument is that a risk from permafrost pathogens is inherently unknowable. Therefore, 
we shouldn't be all that concerned. Instead, we need to focus our attention on more established threats from things like climate change, because this is a big part of this, right? For example, as the earth warms, the northern countries will become more susceptible to outbreaks of typically southern diseases like malaria, cholera, and dengue fever as these pathogens thrive in warmer temperatures. Another viewpoint is that we shouldn't ignore the risk just because we can't quantify them. Dr. Clavier did have this to say, and this is a very long quote, and I'm going to quote, Following our work and that of others, there is now a non-zero probability that pathogenic microbes could be revived and infect us. How likely that is, is not known, but it's a possibility. It could be bacteria that are curable with antibiotics or resistant bacteria or a virus. If the pathogen hasn't been in contact with humans for a long time, then our immune system would not be prepared. So yes, that could be dangerous. So how concerned should we be? How dangerous is this? We should be concerned. Just given the fact of what we're going through right now, is we're seeing something, that they're calling it a novel coronavirus. In other words, it's new, never been seen before, at least not that we know of. And it probably isn't one of these ancient viruses. But with the rate that the planet is warming and the rate of melting of the glaciers and melting of the ice, for, for Christ's sake, didn't Antarctica a couple of years ago... Um, reach above freezing for the first time since they've been tracking the temperature. It got to like 35 degrees and it never happened before. So regardless of how you feel about global warming, you can't ignore the facts that our planet is warming up. And with all of this ice caps melting and the glaciers melting and the permafrost thawing out, there's going to be all kinds of things that are going to be um, rediscovered, should I say, um, that we, man, we haven't even began to fathom. Uh, uh, several years ago, I don't know, I should have looked this up, I, I don't know when it was, but Val Kilmer did a movie about this very thing Probably, I, I bet it was close to 10 years ago or more. It was called Thaw. And it was about this very thing. A group of researchers, I believe in Antarctica, uh, found a, a virus and they got infected with it. And they had to, were faced with a choice of what do we do? Do we, because they, they, they couldn't cure themselves. And what, what do they do? They try to make it back to civilization and maybe get some help and risk spreading this thing around or do they just let themselves die there and hope no one finds them it wasn't that great of a movie but one worth watching after you listen to this podcast because it will uh, it, it kind of just drives home what I'm trying to say 
here tonight. And before I leave you tonight, I'd like to scare you just a little bit more. Uh, Here's a list of the most common bacteria with high antibiotic resistance. Since we're talking about viruses and bacteria, two different things, okay? You don't treat a virus with antibiotics. That's one of the reasons why we have all this antibiotic resistance is because people, dumbasses, dumbass patients are going in and they're getting diagnosed with something that's a virus and they're demanding some sort of medication. We don't have medication to treat viruses, just a, a very small handful, and they don't really do all that good. Viruses, people, we have to let them run their course. We just treat the associating signs and symptoms. You don't give an antibiotic to treat a virus because it's a virus. You give antibiotics to treat bacteria. But dumbass patients are going into doctors and being diagnosed with viruses, and they're demanding antibiotics. And they raise a big stink, and the dumbass doctors say, okay, here's a prescription for some antibiotics, and it doesn't work. So we have all of these high antibiotic-resistant things out there, and here is a list of the most common bacteria with high antibiotic resistance. And I'm probably going to slaughter this. I know I'm in the medical field, but that doesn't mean I can speak. <laughs> so, uh, methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus, also known as MRSA or, or MRSA. Vancomycin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus, also known as VRSA. Drug-resistant Streptococcus pneumoniae. Vancomycin-resistant Enterococcus, also known as VRE. Multi-drug-resistant Pseudomonas arginosa. Chloristicide difficile, also known as C. diff. That gives you horrible, horrible diarrhea, and you don't want it. It is highly contagious, and uh, you will quite possibly shit yourself to death. It's horrible. Carbapenem-resistant enterobacteria, CRE. Multidrug-resistant mycobacterium tuberculosis, or MDRTB. Yes, tuberculosis is still around. Yes, it still sucks. Yes, it will still kill you. And yes, it is drug-resistant. Imagine that. There's also drug-resistant acinobacter. And finally, drug-resistant necessaria gonorrhea. Yep, there is drug-resistant gonorrhea out there too. Tough to get rid of. You can get the clap and you may keep the clap. It's a gift that keeps on giving. Other types of bacteria that may be affected by antibiotic resistance include staphylococcus epidermis, fluconazole-resistant candida, Extended spectrum beta lactamase producing enterobacteria, drug resistant non typhoidal salmonella, drug resistant salmonella seriotype typi, drug resistant shigella, erythromycin resistant group A streptococcus, and clindamycin resistant group B streptococcus. 
So those are all the lists of 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 uh, bacteria that are resistant, highly resistant to antibiotics. So why is antibiotic resistance so important? Well, overuse and misuse of antibiotics worldwide is leading to global healthcare issue of antibiotic resistance. Antibiotic resistant infections may occur, and the worst case scenario is that there might not be any antibiotics left that are effective for the infection, and thus you can die if you have one of these serious infections. One reason bacteria are becoming resistant is because antibiotics are often inappropriately used for an illness caused by a virus, just like I have been saying. Antibiotics cannot kill viral illnesses. Examples of illnesses that are caused by viruses include, but are not limited to, most sore throats, also known as pharyngitis, coughs, colds, and runny noses, also known as rhinitis, sinus infections, respiratory tract infections, also known as sinusitis and bronchitis. And then we have the flu, the influenza virus. Now, most viral illnesses do not need special medication and they're self-limiting, meaning that the patient's own immune system can fight off the illness. A patient with a viral illness can also rest, drink plenty of fluids, use symptomatic treatments so that we treat the associating signs and symptoms. So we're going to let you take like acetaminophen or ibuprofen to relieve those fevers and those body aches. Sometimes in a complicated or prolonged viral infection, bacteria can invade the body as well and cause what's known as a secondary infection. And now in these cases, your doctor or your, your healthcare practitioner can recommend an antibiotic, but only if one is needed, okay? So there's your antibiotic lesson. And finally, I want to leave you with a list of diseases that we think that we have been, that have been uh, totally eradicated. It's a small list, but these are diseases that we think have been totally eradicated. Are you ready? Number one, smallpox. Number two, rinderpest, which is a disease that affects cattle and buffalo. End of list. That's it. Two. So we've got two diseases that we are pretty sure that we have eradicated. We can't be 100% for sure. There's been no new cases for a very, very long time of either one of these. But there's only two of them. Now, Here's a list, this is even more scary, of diseases that most people think we have eradicated but still actually exist. This is a little bit longer. Uh, Polio, still around. Tetanus, it's still around. The flu, we know that it's still around. Even though there's a vaccine for it, it's still there. We can't cure it, okay? Hepatitis B, hepatitis A, rubella, HIV or its official name, Aminophilus influenza type B. Measles. Whooping cough, also known as pertussis. Pneumococcal disease. 
rotavirus, mumps, chicken pox, and diphtheria. Yep, all of those are still around. There are vaccines. There's a vaccine for polio. There's a vaccine for the flu. There's vaccines for hepatitis A and B, measles, mumps, rubella, whooping cough, chicken pox. There's a lot of vaccines, but these things aren't cured. We have not eradicated them. They still exist. And no, getting a vaccination does not cause autism. There is no scientific proof that vaccines cause autism. Absolutely none. So I'm running out of time. So in conclusion, I guess I could say that we really don't know how dangerous all of these old and and new pathogens can be. However, taking into consideration what's happening around the world right now with COVID-19, I think it's a safe bet that we need to do everything we can to prepare ourselves for another more deadly pandemic because it appears to me that one is just around the corner and it may be sooner than we all think. Well, everybody, I hope that you enjoyed tonight's episode of Parareality. Let me know what your ideas and your thoughts about it are by sending me an email. Sandman at parareality.com is my email address. Or you can get in touch with me through my social media accounts, Parareality on Facebook, and follow me on Twitter at Radio at Radio on Twitter. You can also call me on the studio line, 615-692-1170. The number to call once again is 615-692-1170. Don't forget to visit parareality.com often to keep up on the latest paranormal news from all around the world. The content is updated daily, and you can also shop in the Parareality Radio store and watch some of the terrible videos that I've made for the show over the years. And you can actually follow my social media accounts right there on the bottom of the parareality.com homepage. Social media is where you can find out all about what's happening behind the scenes of the podcast because that's where I post a lot of interesting articles and and uh, show topics and other interesting stuff like my travels and investigations. Parareality.com is really your one-stop shopping for everything that's happening in the parareality world. Parareality can now be heard on your favorite podcast station. Parareality is available on Spreaker, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Player FM, Deezer, CastBox, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Podcast Addict, Apple Podcast, and YouTube. Just search for Parareality. And if you have a smart speaker, you can listen on your smart speaker too. If you have any of the already aforementioned podcast skills on your device, just say, play the Parareality podcast. And I now have a Patreon account. For, for the podcast, and I'd love it if you'd sign up to be a patron. There are three tiers of support, and all are extremely affordable. $5 a month or less, as a matter of fact. Each level offers exclusive content along with the ability to help create podcast episodes and even the chance to be a guest or a co-host on the podcast. So to learn more, head on over to patreon.com and look for Parareality. 100% of the proceeds from Patreon goes back into producing this quality podcast. So please help me keep bringing you good quality content, content with Parareality. 
Well, everybody, the next episode of Parareality will air on Friday, May 1st, 2020 at 8 o'clock p.m. Central U.S. time. I'm going to have a couple of special guests on the show. Uh, It's going to be Carl and Sam from PSH Radio all the way over across the pond, as they say, in the U.K. They have uh, combined uh, over... 25 years of paranormal investigation experience, and they've been hosting a paranormal podcast for the last six years. And uh, they've got some stories to tell, some info to share, and uh, it's going to be a really, really good interview with Sam and Carl from PSH Radio. That's going to be the next episode on Friday, May 1st, 2020, 8 o'clock p.m. Central U.S. time. So make sure you turn on, tune in and find out. Everyone, I hope that this podcast opens up your mind to new ways of thinking, expand your consciousness, and produces a change in the way you see the world. If you wish to change, you must lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe. I hope you have a wonderful evening, and I will see you again on May 1st. Good night, everybody. If you wish to change... You must first lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe.